in a new series that Josh introduced last Sunday. By the way, happy belated Father's Day. Did you guys know it was Father's Day last Sunday? Happy Father's Day. On the, um... So we introduced the series, Truth Versus Lies. True or false? True or false? Truth versus lies. What can we really believe? What can we count on? So we're in this uh, today. The title of the message is called, Did God Really Say? Did God really say this? In other words, is the word of the Lord reliable? Is it truthful? Is it the one thing that we can count on? Before we go a little farther into the message, um, I just felt like I had a word of exhortation during worship. And it was in the theme of, our, of some of our worship songs. And the word is this. Please do not let anything stand between you and your God. Do not let anything stand between you and God. You see God, but is there perhaps something between you and him that needs to be taken care of? And it can be offense. It can be an offense from God. It can be an offense of your own. But there is something standing there just Take care of it. Go before the Lord and say, you know what? I don't want this standing between me and, and God. Me and my relationship with Jesus. And it might be even things like fear or doubt or rejection or other things or shame. Whatever it is, it does not need to remain. It can be act, let go of right now. So pray with me, would you? Father, we come before you, and we come, Lord, saying that we don't want anything to stand between us and you. So, Lord, I pray that you will tear down every barrier, every obstacle, every wall, every offense, everything, Lord, that has stood there for too long right now. We pray you would break it off, break it down. Come to us, Lord. We need you. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did God really say? Do you remember as a kid, did you ever have what we called tongue twisters? Do you remember any tongue twisters? It's almost a tongue twister to say tongue twister. Um, there was a, there's some researchers from MIT that they have determined that this was the world's most difficult tongue twister. Honestly, I don't see it being that difficult, but see what you think. Here's the tongue twister. Pad, kid, poured, curd, pulled, cod. If you say that real fast, ten times, I suppose, it could twist you up. A little bit. 
Do you remember, like I remembered right away, rubber baby buggy bumpers. You remember that one? Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Do you remember red leather, yellow leather? Did you ever try that one? Um, how about Peter Piper? Pick the peck of pickle peppers. The peck of pickle peppers that Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked the peck of pickle peppers, where's the peck of pickle peppers that Peter Piper picked? I almost made it. You know what I hate? There's some things about technology I love and some things I absolutely hate. You know what one thing I hate? I hate the autocorrects. Because the autocorrects are the twisters of your words, aren't they? They can get you into trouble because the words get twisted around and say what you did not say or you did not intend to say. So words are important. What's, what's the point of this? Words are important. Language is important. God leverages his word. He is the word, right? And so those words are very, very important. And even we have a real enemy who attacks those words and wants to pervert and twist and autocorrect. He does autocorrection on them all the time, and they never mean what God really said, do they? So even that, with the way we text, the other thing I hate, not the autocorrect, but people put in those initials. You know what I mean. And you're supposed to know what they mean. So here's some initials for you. Now I'm gonna share <laughs> I'm gonna share a story with you that is old as dirt. And some of you have probably heard it before, but just kind of hear it in a new light today with this theme of did God really say or you know twisting words not saying what it was intended to say. Maybe you didn't know the backstory to this particular, uh, particular joke that's been used several times. On February 11th, 1960, Jack Parr, anybody know Jack Parr? See, I can bring up this. You guys remember, some of you remember Jack Parr. Yes, he's like a Johnny Carson type guy. He walked off The Tonight Show, he was before Johnny Carson, for a month after NBC censors edited out a segment taped the night before. As he left his desk, he said, I am leaving The Tonight Show. There must be a better way of making a living than this. Parr's abrupt departure left his startled announcer, Hugh Downs, to finish the broadcast himself. Parr returned to the show on March 7th, 1960. So he'd only been gone a few weeks. He strolled on the stage, he struck a pose and said, as I was saying before I was interrupted, after the audience erupted in applause, Parr continued, when I walked off I said there must be a way of making a living. Well, I've looked and there isn't. So below is the text of a four-minute bit in question which is based on the innocent mix-up involving the initials W.C. 
the NBC censors decided it was dirty and they cut it from the broadcast without bothering to consult or even notify Parr. So here's the joke. You've heard it before, but here it is. This is the backstory of it. And you see if you think it's that vulgar or bad enough to get him thrown off. An English lady while visiting Switzerland was looking for a room and she asked the schoolmaster if he could recommend any to her. He took her to see several rooms and when everything was settled, the lady returned to her home to make the final preparations to move. When she arrived home, the thought suddenly occurred to her that she had not seen a WC. That's water closet, a euphemism for toilet. She had, hadn't seen the WC around the place. So she immediately wrote a note to the schoolmaster asking him if there was a WC around. The Swiss schoolmaster was a very poor student of English. So he asked the Swiss parish priest if he could help in the matter. Together they tried to discover the meaning of the letters WC. And the only solution they could find for the letters was Wayside Chapel. The schoolmaster then wrote to the English lady the following note. Dear Madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is situated nine miles from the house you occupy. In the center of a beautiful grove of pine trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It is capable of holding 229 people. And it is open on Sunday and Thursday only. As there are a great number of people and they are expected during the summer months, I would suggest that you come early. Although there is plenty of standing room. You will no doubt be glad to hear that a good number of people bring their lunch and they make a day of it, while others can afford to go by car, arrive just in time. I would especially recommend that your ladyship go on Thursday when there is a musical accompaniment. It may interest you to know that my daughter was married in the WC, and it was there that she met her, <laughs> that she met her husband. I can remember the rush there was for seats. There were 10 people to a seat, ordinarily occupied by one. It was wonderful to see the expression on their faces. The newest attraction is a bell donated by a wealthy resident of the district. It rings every time a person enters. A bazaar is to be held to provide plush seats for all the people since they feel it is a long-felt need. My wife is rather delicate, so she can't attend regularly. I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat for you if you wish, where you will be seen by all. For the children, there is a special time and a place so that they do not disturb the elders. Hoping to have been of service to you, I remain. Sincerely, the schoolmaster. 
autocorrect, initials, clear, words that did not do. They're powerful, aren't they? Word twisting is a legitimate thing, especially when it comes to understanding this true or false. Word twisting. Our enemy is the devil, and he has an agenda. Because the devil himself, he is a created being. He is not the creator. He is created. And all he can do is take what God has beautifully created and pervert it and distort it and twist it. So why would he not do it with the very words that God speaks? John 10.10 says the thief, we quote it, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. What do you think Satan's target is? Do you think Satan's target is you? It's deeper than that. It's more profound than that. Satan's target is for what God has created. Because it's a direct assault on God himself. Because we talk about haters. Satan is the prince, the king of haters. And God, of course, is the king of the lover. He loves. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly, right? Satan was the original linguistic theft. I debated whether to do this, but I'm going to read actually out of Genesis chapter 3. You're going to have it up there, 3-1 on the slide. Genesis 3-1. Let's hear it again in the beginning. Adam and Eve had been created. They were in the garden. Everything was going great. 3-1 says, Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord had made. My translation says, really? He asked the woman, did God really say you must eat of, you must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it, or we will die. That was a, that's an interesting thing, because we know God didn't say don't touch it. She recited it that way. That's what she heard. But at the same time, you don't touch it, you won't be tempted. And there she was. Did God really say that? The original temptation. This is what Satan has been doing. He has not changed his tactics. He is continuing to come and challenge. Challenge your understanding. Challenge your revelation of what God has said in his word. Is it true? And here we are. Here we are right now. 
You know probably the number one thing that you will hear when you talk to people about God? They will have a belief in God. They will. They might even have a belief in God that he exists. But when it comes to really believing that the Bible is still the Bible, the inspired word of God without error, they will have trouble. They're not so sure. It goes all the way back in the beginning. And here we have it. We have everything is under attack. Every word is under attack of the word of God. Even in our society, and our culture, words are under attack. How many times have you seen in our culture where the meanings of words change all the time? They get hijacked. I don't need to tell you about the word gay, right? And of all things, today, today is Pride Day in San Francisco. And their symbol, something taken out of the Bible called the rainbow. The beauty of the rainbow. The wonderful symbol of God's promise, God's covenant of how he will not judge mankind with water anymore. A beautiful symbol, right? There's other words that we're losing, such as, how about marriage? Has marriage been attacked? Has it been twisted? How about love? Their definition of love. Hate, justice. We all use these same words, don't we? We use marriage, we use love, we use equality, we use male, we use female, we use bigotry, we use oppression. All these words, we commonly use these words. We all do. War, peace, crisis, and yet, when we say those words, what do they mean? We believe what they mean, but they have been twisted. Did you ever imagine? I never imagined. I still have a hard time imagining that we live in a day right now when the definition, the definition of woman, that it actually is under attack, that it, they can't seem to define it. Here's the new definition. New definition of woman is an adult who lives and identifies as a female, even though they have been born as a different sex. And the new definition of a man is an adult who lives and identifies as male, even though they might have been born as a different sex. Who cares about words? Oh, we care about words. They mean a lot. Words are so important that we know in the Bible, the Apostle John, he wrote in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning. In the beginning was what? Word. Word. The Word. Our Jesus Christ. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of only the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. The enemy's agenda has always been to get us to doubt the truth of God's word or to adopt another meaning. Because we read it there. If you read on, you realize that Satan not only got her to doubt it, but then he proceeded to say, this is what God really meant. That's not what he meant. This is what he meant. And that particular sound continues today. That's not what he meant. You know what, I hate to say it, but it's even in the church. We have people, we have pastors, we have churches saying what he really meant instead of what he really said. Instead of, well, how do you feel about that? What is your opinion on that? The word keeps getting twisted. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, a very sobering scripture, said, So God will cause, God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. There are people in the last days that if they sell out, they don't really buy into the truth and believe a lie instead, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. May we be alert. May we not take anything for granted. May we be students of the Bible like we never have before. We are living in a time where we cannot just be casual readers. Because there's someone out there interpreting it for you. You know that we, we talk about, in the, they mention in the Bible that it was a group called the Bereans. This Berean group in the book of Acts, it says that they would always search the scriptures to find out if it was true or not. And we're talking, they listened to the Apostle Paul. They listened to Peter. They listened to other apostles. But they had a hunger. They had a diligence, a due diligence to really discover what it really is. Because word twisting can be very subtle. So how do we win? How do we win this war? This war on words. Is it your responsibility? Yes, it is. It's my responsibility. You say, that's my pastor's responsibility. No, it's not. I hate to put it like this, but when it comes to this, 
every man for himself. I don't mean that in an uncaring way as in the context that it would normally be, you know, like if this place burst into flames, you know, and all of a sudden, every man for himself, run! I don't mean it like that. But at the same time, there is personal responsibility that if I get deceived, it's my own fault. It is. You know, I know some will say, well, where was, where was Adam when Eve was being deceived? He should have been there. Well, yeah, he was there. But she got deceived. She gave in to the explanation. And I'm just saying, let's not, and this is not a gender thing for me. This happens to anybody and everybody. Men are idiots too. We're, we're, we're in this together. And the thing is, okay, don't get me started on this. Because honestly, if I were to speak about this, I would say Adam was the bigger idiot. Because he knew what was going on. It says that Eve was deceived. That means she didn't quite understand what was going on. She was fooled. She was fooled. Adam wasn't fooled. He knew exactly what the deal was. And he let her give it to her to him anyway. Of course, I have whole reasons behind that why that happened too. But anyway, moving on. Know our Bibles. Know the biblical definition of words, yes, but know your Bible. Become more like a student of the Bible like you never have before. I have read, I have read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We all know the love chapter. And yet we are so, we act like we've never read it in our life. Because it's, again, it's one of those things, it's like, <laughs> it's like what James talked about, he said, some of you are like someone who looks in the mirror of the word. There it is. And then you walk away. And you forget what you look like. We look at the mirror of 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is. You think it transforms and changes our life. And you think we are walking in the love of God as God dictated what he said love is. There would be no divorce. There would be no divorce at all. So why, why am I saying all that? I'm saying let's be diligent to go deep. Go deep with the word. Understand the words. 1 Corinthians 13, yes, I'm going to read it. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. 
Are you convicted yet? I am. It is not irritable. Oh, Lord. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Do you realize we probably, if we lived that right there, we wouldn't need anything else. It is all about love. Love God and love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love 1 Corinthians 13, your neighbor as yourself. Love 1 Corinthians 13 to God. And you have fulfilled the whole law right there. So let's not, let's not be deceived. Let's not let it. Love, of course, has changed <laughs> definitions over and over again. Our, prote- our protection against deception is a commitment. It's on the slide. Our protection against deception is a commitment to the truth. And I would even go deeper than that and say it's a love for truth. That you not only are committed to the truth, you're committed, it's like marriage. You're committed in marriage, but hopefully you're loving your spouse in marriage. Not just mere commitment. Not white-knuckle commitment. I'm not letting go. Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Number two, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to stand for truth. We are going to have to get thicker skinned. We really are. We are going to have to get more bold. We are going to have to get more committed, more convinced, more persuaded than ever before that we won't be ashamed to stand. Having done all, having done all to stand for that truth. Mark 8, 38, and the good news, it says, if people are ashamed of me and what I say in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of those people when he comes with the holy angels in his Father's glory. Take a stand. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. Be proud in that. Be proud in the truth of what's right. God's word. God's word. You can never go wrong taking sides with God's word. Did God say that? Yes, he did. Did God mean what he said? Yes, he did. And as for me and my house, yes, we will. Believe this. We will serve the Lord. We will stand for this. Will I be asked to maybe even die for it? Yes. But we don't look at death the same way other people do anyway. Note this statement, disagreement doesn't equal hate. That's a statement that we have forgotten about. I can tell you right now, I 
I have never been more embarrassed, more ashamed of our country's leadership than I am right now. And as soon as I think it doesn't get worse, it gets worse. There is more hate, more hostility. We have forgot this principle that disagreement is perfectly fine. In fact, a healthy, a healthy church, a healthy relationship, healthy human relationships will have disagreements. We're not all the same, and we will have disagreement. That's not the point. The point is, can you still do it with love? Can you do it in a civil manner? Disagree without hate, hostility, malice. There is so much malice. I'm reminded of a message that Billy Graham preached a long time ago. And he loved to quote when he talked about our country. He would always quote Jesus. That simple verse, but oh so profound, that a house divided. A house divided cannot stand. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Yes. We're in trouble, folks. Which side are we going to fall on? May it be God's side. May it be on the word side. Because I'm not picking any side except him. He's the rock on which we stand. All others are sinking sand. And thirdly, to win this war on words, make a decision. Make a decision that I am going to let my salt shaker shake. Because many of us, you know, I have a salt shaker on. We have a salt and pepper shaker. You have salt and pepper shakers, don't you? Is anything happening until you pick them up and turn them upside down and start shaking them? And out they come. And then their purpose is released. And it changes. It's a change agent. It changes things. Many of us, we know we are salt and light. We'll even say that. I, you know, preachers will say, You are the salt of the earth. We'll all say, Amen! You are the light of the world. Amen! But we know the rest, right? Let your light shine. Let it. Let it. Let it. You're in charge. You're in control. The Holy Spirit's in you. The anointing's in you. The kingdom's in you. God in you. The hope of your glory. But it's released. Be the salt. Be the light. 
And unfortunately, being salt and light means you go against the grain. You do. Remember John, he wrote about, he wrote about the light. He said, people that are in darkness, they don't like the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Because they don't have it right. But nevertheless, let your light shine. And don't give in to the twist. Don't give in to the perversion of the word. But I like the Amplified. I like the Amplified Bible too. But never let it take away from what God really said. Okay? You get what I'm saying? Translations are wonderful. But don't let it change the meaning. All the translations do for me is it just helps me. It's, it's like training wheels. It helps me understand it a little bit better. Not to completely get it. I can honestly say, I don't completely, I don't completely get it. This is a lifetime quest. A lifetime pursuit. God's word isn't something that, oh, right here in this life, we can understand it all. We can't. More and more light, more and more light to come. Be salt and light. You bow your heads with me. Father, your word is sacred. Your word is holy. Lord, your word is a survivor. It's a survivor of thousands of years. Thousands of years. And it has not lost any of what you've said. May you, Lord, come to us today and give us more of a hunger for your word, more of a hunger and commitment for truth. May we not be afraid to challenge, not challenge your word, but challenge the commentators of your word. Lord, I don't challenge your word. I believe it. I, I believe it with all my heart. May we uphold that which is true. The purity of your word. The purity of your truth. In Jesus' name.
just take a moment. If there's anyone here that, I don't know where you stand with God. I talked earlier that maybe there's something standing between you and God. And you need to make things right. Maybe you haven't come into a personal time, relationship of knowing God. You can know him today. He can come into your life. He can forgive you of your sins. He can make you completely his child. If you desire that today, would you just pray with me? Lord, I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to wash me of unrighteousness. Lord, I say no to the world. I say no to my own way of life. I don't want to live my life my own way anymore. I want to choose to follow you right now, to take you, Lord, to receive you, Jesus, as my personal Savior, as the Lord of my life. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer or you sense in your heart that God is drawing you, He's calling after you, why don't you tell somebody? Tell somebody. Tell somebody close to you. Come see us here at Gateway. We'd love to see you. Love to have you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church, Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.